Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Razzle Dazzle Rioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Time of day, Yabu Bay. Welcome to episode 128 of Americans Watching the Footy, our round 23 preview. As I mentioned last time, our 138th episode spectacular. As of now, if we stay on our current schedule, will be the grand final preview, so that'll be fun. Benjamin Castle here alongside my brother Ethan Castle in South San Francisco, California, and Brian Harambe, the footy cat curled up on the bed and covering his face to basically say, please do not disturb me. I would like to actually sleep. So we're doing things a little bit differently this episode. On most of our previews, we kind of speculate what teams could look like. This time we waited to record until after teams came out. That's something we're not going to have the flexibility to do every week. But the way schedules lined up this week, we were able to. The way our schedules lined up, that is. And yeah, I I like it. I think we'll actually have better perspective on potential matchups and problem spots for each of the clubs. And uh, we start with as big a clash as you could get this late in the season. First versus second with two rounds to go. Will this finally be a game that gets 50,000 people to Marvel Stadium? Or will the Medallion Club ruin that again? I don't know. It's, It's funny that this matchup is once again at Marvel instead of the G. I guess when sites were picked for these things, though, this was... This wasn't locked in to be a Friday night game, which is why that was done, since you've got a couple other teams with home games at the G this round. Three at Marvel, two at the G. At the same time, even at the start of the season, you would think that this would be the highest profile of the games in Victoria. Collingwood in first, Brisbane in second. Both teams surviving scares this past week. This will be on Fox Sports 2, as most Friday night footy games are, if not all of them these days. 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific for American audiences. Obviously in Australia, 7.50 p.m. Eastern time on Channel 7. These teams met back in round four, the start of Easter round, Holy Thursday as it's known. Lions winning that one by 33. Charlie Cameron and Cameron Rayner combined for 10 goals. Lions had eight goals off turnovers, but the more important thing was that the Pies were still a chance. Were still a chance? They are, right, BT? I remember that Rayner had spent the first few rounds as more of a half-back before swinging forward, and that really hasn't happened since him playing largely in the back. The Lions absorbed Collingwood's numbers at contests, which was very different from how we saw Melbourne beat them on the Kings' birthday, so... We've seen multiple different ways to beat Collingwood, obviously, and they did drop two games in a row before bouncing back against the Cats on Friday night. I want to take you back, though, to the last meeting that these teams had in Victoria back in round three of 2021. Also at Marvel Stadium, it was a one-point victory for the Lions 
when Zach Bailey won it after the siren, another part of Brisbane's five-game head-to-head winning streak against Collingwood. That was like my first real after the siren experience, and it was especially fun because it was like, ooh, everyone's standing up. Here we go. This is happening. It was all kind of like escalated very quickly. I believe I watched the Jack Nunes one in 2020 live. But this is the first one that I remember watching live that was properly awarded and everything like that. Because, again, it should have been Mick Gibbons who took the kick instead of Jack Nunes. Yeah, I don't remember if I watched the Nunes one live or Robbie Gray. If I did, I was probably more confused than anything. That was how we were in 2020. For Collingwood, Braden Maynard is going to be the captain without Darcy Moore which I think is perfect because he's like as Collingwood as it gets. This was a discussion we had, I think, in the 2022 offseason. It was pretty clear that Moore would be the captain, but if you're looking at someone who fits the brand like James Sicily and Toby Green do for their respective teams, Maynard makes sense. Also, 2022 draft pick Jacob Ryan is going to be debuting. Uh, Apparently, they're trying to call him Flying Ryan, which isn't really working. Well, considering Fly and Ryan already beat Collingwood in a grand final, no, that doesn't work. Ryan is a South Australian product who was picked with the 28th selection this past November. Good intercept mark, someone that makes sense to have in with some of the defensive outs they've got, particularly Darcy Moore, of course. Yeah, the outs this week, Darcy Moore, Bobby Hill, Jordan Ngoi. It's a glute for Jordan Ngoi and a hamstring for Bobby Hill. Short term for both of them, McRae said he would, he would more heavily consider selecting both of them for a final. And I mean, this will have a finals-like atmosphere. Only problem is it won't be at the finals venue. Steel Sidebottom also returns for Collingwood. So I imagine that you'd have him in at some more of the center bounces as well. They fixed things up a decent amount last week, but I still have concerns about Scott Pendlebury in those situations. So Sidebottom's the type that makes more sense there. Most importantly, though, they don't have their MVP from last week, Jake Kolajashny. More on him later. Also, this will be Will Hoskin Elliott's 200th game between Greater Western Sydney and Collingwood. Biggest memory I have of him in our four years watching was him kicking the game winner against the Suns last year on the Gold Coast. I remember him doing good stuff in an Anzac Day game, too. May have also been last year's. One change for the Lions, Kadeen Coleman, it was an eye thing, maybe a little facial injury as well after he took a share in there. He's in for Jack Gunston, whose MCL strain rules him out for four to six weeks, so very likely the season there for Gunston. Which is unfortunate because he'd been taking on some tougher matchups these past few weeks and doing reasonably well there. I'm thinking back to the Frio game in particular where we were calling for him to be managed, and then he dealt with Luke Ryan pretty well. I was tripping... I can't find anything of him in a recent Anzac Day game that was that that special. Maybe it was like a play or two for Hoskin Elliott then. I guess so. What's the situation, you think, with uh, some of the Lions defensive matchups? Jack Payne did an okay job on Taylor Walker last week. Also, wasn't a great set shot game for Tex. Brody Majacek is a very mobile target, though, so... Do you have Payne then playing on whichever Ruck has ventured forward at the time then, whether that be Darcy Cameron or Dan McStay? Because I don't think Majacek is the right matchup for him at all. I like that idea. and I think you've really got to pay attention to those guys. I think Darcy Cameron especially is someone who, over the course of the season, when he's been healthy, you've seen how much he does, even if he's not getting forward touches, to create space for everyone else. And if you can take him out of the equation, I think that would be really important. 
him and McStay playing in the same forward line has worked really well. So I imagine Payne would go to one of those and maybe then you'd have Andrews. If you want Andrews to play more freely as kind of that loose center halfback, then I guess Brandon Starsevich would get the job on Brody Majacek. Ryan Lester's position in this game will be of note to me, not just because he's a fantasy acquisition for me, but I think of him as more of a carrier out of the back rather than a mark, even though he's put up decent numbers. I imagine he'd take whichever of the of those other tall targets, McStay or Kara, that Payne doesn't get. And that may be a matchup to really watch. The odds that we have largely were the same as before the list announcements. Maybe a little slow to update, but so there doesn't seem to really be any surprises here. Collinwood favored by half a point. So it's basically a push. Half a point, remember, you get twice as much as that just for having a crack. You get a point just for having a crack. I would probably have set this line at like two and a half, but you would expect this one will be close. Which team is more likely to win in a blowout? Is it crazy for me to say the Brisbane Lions? No, not at all. With the concerns that I have at the contest still for Collingwood, if the Lions can win those balls initially, because I don't see a clear tagger in the Collingwood lineup, then the Talls can clear out, go to the wings as they often have, and that can create space for Charlie Cameron. Lincoln McCarthy is an accelerator, so one of the goal kickers as well. McCarthy's returned to form in the past few weeks. Your Saturday opener is Richmond hosting North Melbourne at the G. A dead rubber in terms of finals prospects, but a game with a lot of sentimental meaning. Three different players playing in their final game. This one will get underway 1.45 p.m. on Saturday at the G. 8.45 p.m. Friday on the West Coast of the United States. 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast. And 5.45 a.m. in Botswana which I think got a random measure on the Fairly Odd Parents one time. Uh, I'm not finding anything yet. I believe Mr. Crocker asked the class what the capital was. Aha, uh-huh, yes. The American, why did I just, so I, I just found this, but I found it on r slash my little pony. I have no clue as to why that came up there. Get off of this place I never wanted to be. Well, good. Close the window. Erase it from your history. An empty browser history reveals more than a full one. Americans who don't have watch AFL, you'll have to wait for a while to view this one. It's not getting broadcast on Fox Soccer Plus until 4 a.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Pacific on Sunday the 20th for some reason. But this is pretty much a dead rubber. There's a weird case in which Richmond can still make it, I think, but it requires draws and, and huge percent gains. They're a 9-11-1-13th after losing to the Saints. North have lost 19 games in a row after losing to Essendon in Ben Cunnington's finale. Now it's going to be Jack Zeebel's finale for them. The three players who are retiring after this game have played a total of 933 games at AFL level. 280 for Jack Zeebel, that's the 10th most for North. He was their captain for six years. 306 for Trent Cotchin, that's the 4th most for Richmond. Of course, they're a triple premiership captain three-time club best in Ferris and a co-Brownlow medalist in 2012. Shut up, Essendon fans. And Jack Revolt, it'll be his 347th, second most for Richmond. He's kicked the third most goals for them as well, and the 13th all-time with 786 as a three-time Colin medalist. So even though either of these teams are going to be playing into September, I'd expect a decent crowd for this one. I mean, he got 60-plus thousand in the rain for Trent Cotchin's 300, although... That was a much more relevant game at that point in the season. I think it could be around that again, you know, 
that is Kachin and Revolt. Revolt is just a huge name in footy. I'm still surprised that he didn't retire against the Saints with Maddie's match, considering the family significance and also that Nick Revolt retired after a game against Richmond himself. Jacob Hopper returns from injury for the Tigers as well. They have omitted Jacob Bauer, Matthew Coltard, and Ryan Mansell. There was concern over Daniel Rioli getting up for this game with a couple issues with his lower leg, but he's clearly gotten through that. So the potential All-Australian, once again, will continue his games played streak played every game for them this year when they've had a lot of players managed, a lot of difficulty keeping guys in the lineup for various reasons or getting them into the lineup in the first place. It's impressive to play out all. Well, it will be 23 at season's end. I mean, does he get in for the court game? I don't know. I, I would expect him to, but not a guarantee. One big thing I'm thinking here in regards to matchups is that Noah Balta got completely outdone again by his matchup last week, that being Max King, who kicked six goals on him, two in each of the first three quarters. Then they switched Tyler Young onto him, and Max King did not touch the ball again. Didn't realize that until it was mentioned on first crack this past week, so I would advocate to put Tyler Young on Nick Larkey from the beginning. Yeah, plus, you know, that's a younger guy. You're trying to figure out your future, and you can honor the outgoing players while also doing some productive planning for the future by doing that. Uh, changes for North this week. There's four of them. Obviously, Ben Cunnington's out after his finale last week. Charlie Lozaro and Jackson Archer omitted. George Wardlaw and Jaden Stevenson both shut down for the season. It's a thumb injury for Stevenson and managing an ongoing hamstring issue for Wardlaw. So Dan Howe and Tom Powell get back in as we'd expected. Will Phillips as well. And I thought that Hugh Greenwood was held out last week mostly because Ben Cunnington took his spot. And his inclusion backs up that theory for me. Former basketballer. Oh, of course. How can we forget? Former basketballer Hugh Greenwood. Tigers are favored by 29 and a half. It would be hilarious if they lost to North for the second year running. There's no way they lose Cotchin's final game, right? I don't think so, especially because Jake Arts isn't there to play on. And also Noah Cumberland isn't in the lineup. Those came in consecutive rounds last year, rounds 18 and 19. Difference is also, you know, this is at the G. But yeah, that was a ridiculous game last year in round 18. A four-point win for North. It was Lee Adams' first game as caretaker. Cam Zerhar kicked six goals one. Meanwhile, Jack Revolt and Noah Cumberland combined to kick five goals ten. And yeah, Jay Gartz played on. That was, well, like 40-something seconds left, I think. Yeah, and it resulted in a behind. For that game, North kicked 14-8. Richmond kicked 11-22. The deserve to win a meter probably broke in Richmond's favor, and that's why it swung back to North. Well, I've worked out the swing, but it's a secret. <laughs> the other game in the early window on Saturday, you've got the Gold Coast Suns and Carlton at Heritage Bank Stadium. 2.10 p.m. local time, so 12.10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday the 19th. 9.10 p.m. Pacific on Friday the 18th for us Americans. This is your Fox Sports 2 game of the early window. Five games on FS2 this round. For a bit, we thought this game wouldn't be all that important. And, well, for the Suns, it isn't. They're down at 15th at 9 and 12. But the Blues, they can keep pace for 5th, where they currently are after defeating Melbourne by 4 points. They're at 12, 8, and 1. It's funny, though. We thought, well, my thought was, oh, this game isn't going to have much impact on who makes the 8th. And it probably has none. 
barring some really, really funny circumstances. But it is going to factor into, you know, what place are the Blues? You know, are they hosting a final? Although, you know, most of the fifth or eighth crowd. Well, I guess there's an outside chance for a New South Wales final still. That's true. That's true. The Swans could easily sneak up into fifth or sixth. And who knows about the Giants? They're still right there. And of course, that's who the Blues finish up against next week. These teams met in round 14. It was the Suns' lone MCG appearance of the season. A 59-point Blues win after they had lost 8 of 9, and uh, they haven't lost since. Currently riding an 8-game win streak, and they're bringing back Harry Mackay. Early return for him, obviously, was expected to not play again in a home-and-away season. It's a very delicate situation bringing somebody back in no matter how good they are with how well the team is going. But Lockie Fogarty is out with some soreness, and those are all the changes that are required. Maybe when Jack Silvani comes back, I could see Silvani coming back next week. Sounds kind of ridiculous to me, but Silvani for Pitnet honestly makes more sense than I'd think. I think Pitnet is a necessity here to match up against Jared Witts. Yeah, but as well as Tom DeConey has played, I think Pitnet becomes much more expendable. I don't think that's the move they'd make, but it would make sense. This will be the 50th game for two Blues, David Cunningham and Matt Cottrell, who have been essential in their winning streak. There's some speculation that maybe Cottrell's spot is in jeopardy with some of the other returning players they have, but I like how he's played through the defensive 50. Trying to think of who would be at risk. Maybe, like, I think Alex Chincata. Chincata potentially looking forward. There's even potential for Jesse Motloff to be at risk with some of the returnees like Sam Walsh maybe forcing the Blues to go taller. I think, honestly, the best move for Walsh would be to move Patty Dow back to the sub, as cruel as that is. Because I think Dow is playing the type of game that Walsh ought to be playing. Assuming they aren't hit with further injuries, whoever's going to be the sub is going to be a damn good one. I remember what Riley Beveridge uh, said, that stat he gave a couple weeks back. I think it was 16 of the 23 players in their game. Either this past round or the round before had played in the VFL this season. Gold Coast with a bunch of changes. Darcy McPherson's been omitted. That's a bit of a surprise. Uh, other omissions, Sam Day and Jai Farrer, less surprising. Elijah Holland's a bit uh, a bit of a surprise, I guess. Sounds like the Suns will be listening to offers on him, so maybe not all that surprising. Uh, Nick Holman's out with a knee injury. It's his LCL, I believe. So back in, you've got Hunter Butterick for the first time all season, where he ruptured his ACL last year, so welcome back. That'll be a nice thing this week, even if there aren't many other nice things. If this were in America, I would totally see, like, welcome back Connor puns happening more frequently. Oh, yeah, I, I, I get what you're going for. Alex Sexton, Ben King, Braden Fiorini all in as well, and Lloyd Johnston will be making his debut. Lloyd Johnston, rebounding defender, so someone who might be carrying out of the back more. Six feet tall, one of their academy products. He is from Borolula in the Northern Territory with a population of 871 as of the 2016 census, so over a tenth of a percent of Borolulu's population is making their AFL debut this weekend. And this place is way out there. It's 656 miles southeast of Darwin. So that's over a thousand kilometers. Looking at it on a map, let's see. Well, they've got a couple of gas stations. Pretty sure there's a rodeo there from what I looked up. There's a police station. There's a little airstrip. There's a motel. There's a campground. There's a Thai place. There are Thai places everywhere, it seems. Yes, those are. So that's actually, there's like a Thai government program 
basically to like promote the country. So, you know, like culinary diplomacy. Is that why there are so many Thai restaurants just everywhere in the U.S. as well? Yes, there's a half as interesting video on this. Yeah, like I, I was surprised when my dad and I were in Oregon last year going to the World Athletics Championships. We went out to the coast. We went out to Florence and there was a Thai place. Yes, there are Thai places everywhere. The The Thai population in the U.S. is comparable to the Ethiopian population, but there's like five times more Thai places than Ethiopian. So the conclusion that I came up with is we need more Ethiopian restaurants. More in Jira for everyone. Okay, but this place is so small, like the photo that comes up for it is just a couple of guys sitting, drinking a beer that I think one of the residents actually uploaded. I love that. Blue's favored by nine and a half. I feel like this should be higher, but maybe, you know, the Suns have been pretty up and down under Stephen King, and they are at home. I'd still push this out more like, I don't know, 15. What would the Suns need to do in order to win this game? I mean, firstly, they need to win the contest, and Matt Rowell matching up against Patrick Cripps at contests will be very fun. We didn't really get that opportunity for the full game last year on the Gold Coast. I think that was around three last year because Cripps hurt his hamstring. Where else could they really win this game. I mean, is Ben King the type of player that could match up well against Jacob Wiedering? Yeah, I think that would be a fun one-on-one. -on -one. I think also just they need to show up defensively, which they did in the Sydney last week. You know, they had a very solid offensive game against the Swans, especially first half, and then just they did not defend at all. So a bounce back game from Charlie Ballard would be nice there. Ballard was held pretty closely for that whole game by Will Hayward, and I think some teams have really taken note of what St. Kilda did to counteract James Sicily in their rematch against Hawthorne, because you're seeing this kind of thing happen more, kind of tagging the defender in the defensive 50. Another thing I want, I want another one of their forwards, maybe one of the bigger ones, even like Connor Butterick or Levi Casbolt, to go further upfield and try to take away Nick Newman's intercepting game. When it hasn't been Wiedering, it's been Newman, and Newman's a player who's started some of their best passages from the back half, mostly by foot. Well, if there's one other thing that's going against the Blues, I looked this up because I knew they obviously lost in round 23 last year. As it turns out, they haven't won in round 23 since 2013. They had a draw more recently than that. Yeah, in 2014, they drew Essendon to close out their home and away season. But yeah, it was a, a one-point win in 2013, which I believe was the final home-and-away game played at the football park in Adelaide that got them into, in big air quotes, eight. It was really nice. Yes, it was, because I think Essendon were supposed to have finished seventh before the drug scandal. This was 2013 this happened? Yep. It's funny that Essendon did that, because like, not that long earlier, fall of 2012 was the year Ohio State went 12-0 and and wasn't eligible for anything. Was that because of the Terrell Pryor signing stuff? It was some sort of NCAA thing. Penn State. So, oh, this was fun. This was when the, so Ohio State technically won the leaders division because the Big Ten, instead of having divisions based off, well, actually, they were kind of based off geography, but it was officially Legends and Leaders. Yes, the Legends Division and the Leaders Division. Not like, you know, the, the East and West. They weren't quite geographic, actually. They were, the Leaders was more East, but not exclusively. Anyway, Penn State was also ineligible because they had some well-documented uh, stuff. And so Wisconsin, finishing in third, went to the championship game, and then hung 70 on Nebraska. Because Nebraska. 
That's like, um, I think it was UCLA made the initial Pac-12 championship game and ended up 6-8 and eight on the year. I don't know if it was the initial one, but it was one of the earlier ones. You see these weird college football records like 6-8, and 7-7, seven and seven, I think Georgia Tech went one year. And it's usually because some team was ineligible for a conference championship game. It was the inaugural Pac-12 championship game for UCLA. That was 2011. It was 2012 for Georgia Tech. Three teams finished tied at 5-3 and three in the ACC's Coastal Division, but both North Carolina and the University of Miami were ineligible. I think a lot of it was for stuff that is legal now. Not, you know, the things that UNC did that should be punished, like the, the fake classes. Your middle Saturday game, the Giants and Bombers at the Sydney Showground. 4.35 p.m. local time in New South Wales and elsewhere on the Pacific Seaboard for Australia. For Americans, 2.35 a.m. Eastern on Saturday, 11.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday, a Fox Soccer Plus contest. This is 10th hosting knife with both teams at 11 and 10. One thing I would expect in this game compared to their last meeting, more accurate kicking for goal from Essendon because I doubt they'll go for 11 goals 22 again. Hey, we were just talking about another team kicking 11-22. That's, yeah, Richmond, the last time they played North. That's interesting. So I would say this is not quite an elimination game, but it's almost because both have a really tough matchup round 24. 48 might not be enough, even if you get there. And neither of their percentages are that great. If it's 48, the only team that can probably get in is the Crows. I don't know, there are scenarios, but... I would call this game basically an elimination game, which is funny because we thought Essendon's game against Sydney a few weeks ago was, and they're playing in another elimination game. Well, then again, they had just played the bottom two. Yeah. So so that was their lifeline. But the point here is this is, for all intents and purposes, an elimination game. You lose this one, your odds of making finals are what, like 2%? If that. For GWS, we learned that Daniel Lloyd is going to be retiring at the end of the season. It's had a really interesting career path from the Central Coast in New South Wales, was a scholarship player for the Bulldogs, but never got an AFL game with them. And then while he was playing local footy in the Black Diamond League, Mark McVeigh spotted him and offered him a lifeline. And looks like at this point, he'll fall just short of 100 games that would require them to make the semifinals for him to hit 100. Still a story of perseverance, someone who got a late start into the AFL, I think he was 25 when... He played his first game and has definitely had a positive impact on this Giants squad during their best period yet. The Giants get two important forwards back this week. Both Brent Daniels and Toby Bedford were suspended last week. Both are back in. Looks like Jacob Ware is going to return to the sub role. He could, would make sense. Maybe him, maybe Toby McMullen, who debuted last week, or Ryan Angwin. But yeah, Angwin actually, I think, now that he, if he's healthy would make sense. And then Nick Haynes, who had been slipping in four recently, is out with an illness. So that could explain some of that there. Two key returns for Essendon as well, one of them being perhaps their hero from that meeting in round four earlier this year, because Jake Stringer kicked four goals six in that game, with his last goal being a barrel on the run from 60. That is one of the plays of the season. And the one that pretty much every week is used as the lead in for the uh, Red Rooster Big Roost. If if you haven't watched, fun segment on Bounce. We'll find out just like Andrew Gaze is scared of everything. And he's really bad at measuring distances. Well, considering a basketball court isn't even 30 meters in length, that kind of makes sense. Well, he can just 
put things in relation to the size of a basketball court bet. Maybe we should tweet that at him. Might help him. Also in for the Bombers, Sam Draper for the first time since round 13, but dealing with a hip injury that was much longer term than we expected. So Draper against Kieran Briggs, that ought to be good. If it wasn't for the whole Clayton Oliver thing, I think Draper's injury would have gotten a little more publicity. You see you know, kind of the length of it, the when the hell is he going to be back nature of it. And also a team that's on the fringe of finals now. Absolutely. So that means Nick Ryan is omitted because Andrew Phillips will continue to get games. He is retiring at season's end. So round 24 against Collingwood could be his last game. I would say that's somewhat likely at this point. Kane Baldwin and Will Snelling are among the emergencies, as is Jai Caldwell, who was held out last week. If Caldwell is good to go, I would not be surprised to see a late change. I would hate for it to come at Elijah Sadas's expense or Ben Hobbs as well. I would say if anyone, Jake Kelly has not had much impact as of late. And even though he's been more of a wayer, I think his absence can be dealt with more easily. Might mean Nick Martin has to play more outside, but he's damn good all over the ground. Yabar fans seem to be questioning his performance. Could be something to that. The Giants are 15 and a half point favorites at home. I hope the fans show up for this one. I think that's fair. You know, do they bounce back this week? The last couple weeks, you know, last week was really only the second time all year where they just got pummeled. I've said it a billion times. I'm going to say it again. They've already done everything they've needed to to make this season a success. It would be nice if they could make finals. It would be nice if they conclude the season on a pretty high note. They are a win away from doubling their win total from last year, when pretty much nobody thought that was possible. I'm not even sure if Adam Kingsley did. He should be your coach of the year, plain and simple. But yeah, I don't know how they're going to respond, because back-to-back losses, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's taken some of the wind out of their sails. I don't know. I think having those two half-boards coming back in Daniels and Bedford will provide the necessary spark. We're on Twitter, at Americans Footy. That's our YouTube handle as well. I'm also on Twitter personally, at Castle Media. Brian Harambe is on Instagram, at Cat Named Brian. He's roaming about the house now. We let him out during the break. I am on Twitter, at BenjaminHK01. We got two monster games on Saturday night. Are these both eliminators? No. Three teams have the potential to be eliminated from these games. I would say two. You know, if you're at 46 heading into the final round, you'll still be alive. So yeah, I I don't think the Swans are necessarily facing elimination. So you know what? The Swans playing at home in round 24 definitely helps, even though it's against Melbourne. I'm more concerned about the Saints if they don't win this one because they've got to go to the Gamma round 24. Saints host Geelong at Marvel Stadium. That's going to be your national TV game on 7, 7.25 p.m. It's going to be on Fox Sports 2 here in the U.S., 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific. Coverage beginning at the top of the hour. Saints 12-9. and 9. They're in 6th after beating the Tigers. The Cats in 11th at 10-10-1 after losing Collingwood. These teams met twice last year. The Saints with a 10-point win in round 9, where St. Kilda had another monster third quarter. That was kind of their early season identity. I had said, and Rudy Edsall, who knows the sport way better than me, had said, that like, you know, after that game, was like, this is not a flag-winning team. This is, you know, a team that would, like, top out at the middle of the eight, maybe get to a prelim. What was more likely at that point? Geelong winning the flag or us and Rudy meeting up that year? I think, I think meeting up. 
both of which happened. Yeah, it was just over a year ago now as he as he was on a layover before he went to Portland and then to New York. I know we saw Rage Against the Machine on that trip. Yeah, if if you're ever around here, come see us. Yeah, we'll we'll play tour guide for you. But yeah, that the Cats never lost again after that. Uh, they played the Saints again in round 21. Isaac Smith kicked three goals in a 45-point victory at Cardinia Park. That loss at Marvel actually was had snapped a six-game head-to-head winning streak. Geelong have won seven of eight meetings. The list for the Cats this week, I think, was going to be one of the most scrutinized. Jake Polish-Ashley is in. Boo. Reese Stanley is out with an adductor injury, meaning Shannon Neal moves to rock. Tom Hawkins is indeed back, but Cam Guthrie is not. He will most likely be playing in the VFL this week. I, I assume they tried to do everything they could to get him in there. Here's the question. If the Cats lose and they're pretty much eliminated as a result. Pretty much, and it would, I think, be mathematically eliminated. I, I actually think so, yeah. Then do you even bring Cam Guthrie back in for round 24, or do you just have him keep rehabbing in the reserves? I would ask Cam Guthrie. I would just leave it up to him. Jed Buse does also return for the Cats, and I very much approve considering how poor Cole Jashi has played. I can see one of them getting subbed out this week, I really hope Brandon Parfit's not the sub. Last week was just kind of like the I'm done. You know, he had redeemed himself some a week earlier in the win over Port Adelaide, but I was very unimpressed. Looked like the same version of him that was so disappointing at the start of the season. I'd like to see either Sam Metagola or Oshin Mullen as the sub. Metagola yet to play this year at AFL level. I would like to see Metagola and Max Holmes, who will be already playing in his 50th game, be able to line up on opposite wings. So wouldn't mind that, although with some of the contest concerns they have, Metagol being in Mayforce Holmes more inside. So kind of in a bind there. Max Holmes already getting to 50 games makes me feel old. I remember when he was like brand new in, what was it, 2021? Yeah, he was picked 20 in 2020, debuted Easter Monday of 2021. He isn't even 21 yet. He turns 21 in a couple weeks' time. During finals bye week, I guess. Good time to do it. Although, I don't know if 21 is such a big birthday there like it is here. No, it would it would be 18 because that's the legal drinking age there in, in most of the Commonwealth. So without Reese Stanley and Toby Conway having not played an AFL game and John Segler being injured, which isn't as big of a loss as it sounds. There's high potential for a Rowan Marshall Field Day. That said, I love Shannon Neal matching up with him because watching Neal last week, like I saw some similarities. Good contested mark, big body, just not able to really hit the set shots yet, but doing everything else to the point where I think if his goal is to just shadow Rowan Marshall all game and then every now and then you spell him with Asavarada Galea or Sam DeConing, Hawkins in the 450, of course, I, I think they have the tools to battle there. It's not going to be easy, but I don't think they're going to get completely flattened at the position, even if the hitout numbers are ugly. The Saints, meanwhile, are going unchanged. I mean, outside of maybe the sub, Hunter Clark was the sub last week. He's among the emergencies again. This will be Jack Higgins' 100th game. For some reason, I thought he would have played more, but didn't get in nearly as many games as outsiders may have realized during the time at Richmond. Never actually got a premiership medal there. Had a goal of the year there, not a premiership medal. What do you think the matchup's going to be for Jake Cole Jashney? I think Tim Memory's a great candidate for that to really clown him, honestly. 
I don't know. I would just put him on the least impactful person possible. Make him as irrelevant as possible. Matthias Philibo then, honestly? But I think... Yeah, I, I think that's the move. That actually makes sense. I, I don't like Cole Jashley being in. I'll, I've said this too. But if the Saints force the issue, I think Membry. Because I would see DeConing matching up more on Max King. Which Hounding needs to needs to bring it. Um, he tends to elevate against top competition. He hasn't been anywhere near as sharp as he was last year. I don't know if he's big picture going to be as good as he was last year, but he needs to be closer to that than the form he's shown this year, and especially in the last few weeks. You know, Dan McStake had a stuck it to him last week, and King is even more of a mismatch size-wise, so that could be a problem there. Oh, size isn't an issue for him. I mean, he's a decently big, strong guy. I know he's not great in one-on-ones, but maybe if that goes poorly early, you get him off of that and you put Zach Guthrie in there. Uh, I mean, Zach Guthrie's put on enough muscle that I could go up with him. I don't know. I don't want Radagalea taking taking one of the talls because I think he'll give up too many frees. No, I think he's cleaned that up nicely. Maybe Radagalea then to memory? Is that, is that what? Hey, I think because Radagalea is so strong, it's a discipline question for me. That hasn't been an issue since early in the season. His issues are what does he do when he actually has the ball? And I think what he needs to do is just give it off to a runner as fast as he can. Find Tom Stewart or Zach Guthrie then, or, or Duncan if he's playing in the defensive 50, because Duncan's decision-making has been better the past couple weeks. Yeah, I, I would say have him hand it off to Guthrie as soon as possible, because Guthrie's instincts have been so good. What do you think of the 7.5-point line in Geelong's favor at the time of recording? Way too high. I hope that there's a reason people are more confident than I am. The Cats at Marvel? I don't know. I would probably actually favor the Saints by just a couple. I came into this thinking, St. Kilda by three and a half. I was thinking two and a half. As much as I want the Cats to win, because they're kind of a second team for me with Ethan being a member, and also us, you know, having a cat named Ryan. Between that and also my belief that the Saints are still not deserving of finals, as much as I want the Cats to win, I see it as maybe a one in three chance. Oh, I see it as better than that. I think it's close to 50-50. Maybe, what if it's like, 44%? The other Saturday night game is another that's like, you know, an eliminator for one team. Must win for the Crows. They host Sydney at the Adelaide Oval. This one gets underway at 7.40 p.m. in New South Wales, Victoria, etc. 7.10 locally in South Australia. For us in the U.S., it'll be 2.40 a.m. on the West Coast, 5.40 a.m. on the East Coast. This is a Fox Soccer Plus game. It's unfortunate that we won't have both games on regular American TV at the same time. It's unusual. We had a couple times last year where there were games on FS1 and FS2 at the same time, but we had them like once this year, I think. We, we might have we had like a slight overlap. Yeah, it might have been like 2.10 and 4.35 game for, uh, for our Australian Eastern time. Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, Crows are at 10 and 11 in 12th after narrowly losing to the Brisbane Lions when they nearly made it all the way back. The Swans defeated the Suns, put that one away in the third quarter, and are now in seventh at 11, 9, and 1. This is the first time the Swans have actually been in the eight at the end of a round this year since round five, so before Anzac Day. And then the cats absolutely demolished them. That was fun. Should do that again sometime. So these teams met in round 19 last year, a 33-point Swans win. They put up 118. 
including a 9-0, 57-point first quarter. Just massive pressure for the Swans in that one is what I remember. Sydney have won the last three meetings between these two clubs. The Crows will be getting Isaac Reichen back for the first time since injuring his hamstring against Melbourne. That was right at the end of that game. He had put on a nice kick to Darcy Fogarty and just in the follow-through, or maybe as he was just running it off, his hamstring popped. It's great to have him back. Not that their forward line was suffering without him, but because he's so damn fun to watch. He provides more opportunities for live play goals, I'd say, compared to what they already have in there with the better set shots they have, including Walker and Fogarty. So watch for that. What I don't understand is that Luke Pedler has been demoted to the sub. Yeah. Um, he, He'd been managing a lot this year. It was Rochelle, I believe, last week. Why not drop, I don't know, Lachlan Murphy or something? I think Pedler's way too important to take out of the 22. I would have made Harry Schumberg the sub instead. We like I would have even I would have considered dropping Riley Philthorpe before I would have considered dropping Pedler. And I really like Riley Philthorpe. Oh, we are very much Riley Philthorpe enjoyers here. And as Walker gets older, I mean, unless he just continues to get stronger and go Benjamin Button on the AFL, then Philthorpe should be getting steadier time. This will be Shane McAdams' 50th game. For some reason, I thought he'd been around for longer and Maybe it's because he's just had some longer-term injuries. Had only come back into the team a couple weeks ago and kicked four goals last week to tie his career high. Yeah, he's played since 2020, but hasn't managed more than 15 games in a season. The other Crows news, unsurprisingly, but unfortunately, Paul Seedsman has announced his retirement. He's been dealing with long-term concussion issues. Some of those probably unsurprising, but nonetheless unfortunate. He hadn't played since 2021. That was widely considered to be his best season. Saw a lot of support for him online from Crows and Pies fans alike. I mean, the rest of the AFL as well, but those are the two clubs for whom he played. On Sydney's side, they'll be getting Braden Campbell and Dane Rampey back. Uh, Aaron Francis has been omitted. That's not a surprise. He's been one of their weakest links defensively. I would have hoped for Lewis Melkin to be back in here, but Rampian is an excuse, admittedly, to get Francis out Surprised to see Jack Bowler as an inclusion this week. That's because Joe Lamardi's out with some hamstring soreness. Would you have expected someone else to come in instead? I mean, who else could you really have considered? I guess Bowler probably is the next man up there. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, Unless Pete Laddams would be ready to go and you'd have him in as well because Peyton McLean has obviously stayed in. I, I wouldn't bother with having both Laddams and Hickey. That just doesn't seem productive. So really, I, I don't find it that surprising at all. Along with Francis and Amarty, Matt Roberts is out. He's one of the emergencies along with last week's sub, Ryan Clark. This will also be Nick Blakey's 100th game, so congrats to the Wizard. I'm a little surprised they haven't thrown Clark in there more as a tagger, especially in this week when you've got a couple of guys that can merit that. I mean, maybe if it's a close game and Clark comes in, he would go to Riken then. Or could go to Laird, or could go to even Ben Keyes. Not sure if he'd be able to physically go up against Laird. Ben Keyes, on the other hand, I expect to be tagging Errol Golden. Tuke Miller did a good job against Golden last week, but the Suns weren't able to get any momentum otherwise, so Stephen King ended up releasing Miller from that tag. Crows favored by 11.5. I'd probably make this a little bit closer. I would put this within a goal. I'd put this at like 8.5. I would put it at five and a half. Yes, there's the Crows' home field advantage in there, but the Swans are in such good form. 
I guess the Swans are done for if they lose this. It will be a tough task to beat the Demons at the SCG a week from Sunday to fit home game, though. It is. Never question them at home, even with their struggles there this year. I think they're in form right now. They're, they're a team I would not want to face. There are only a couple teams that could make the eight that I would want to face if they get in there. Those being St. Kilda and Essendon? Yeah. On to Sunday footy. The Western Bulldogs will defeat the West Coast Eagles at Marvel Stadium. If you want to watch that bloodbath, it'll be 1.10 p.m. local time in Victoria, 11.10 a.m. for Westerners. For American audiences, uh, for some reason, this will be on Fox Sports 2, 11.10 p.m. Eastern, 8.10 p.m. Pacific. Bulldogs at 11 and 10, they are at 8th after losing in Tasmania to the Hawks. I did not expect them to be in peril at this point in the season. The Eagles, 2 and 19, they're in 18th. They lost by 101 last week to the Dockers. 101 was also the margin for the Eagles meeting with the Bulldogs last year out in Perth. I remember like half watching this game because I think there was another game at the same time, and it was just like, I don't know if I had ever seen a team facing less resistance getting the ball down the field. The Bulldogs have won four straight meetings head-to-head. I remember there was a pretty dramatic meeting as well, I believe in uh, 2021. With uh, like a round one matchup. I'm not sure if it was round one, but it I was early. It was in an empty Optus Stadium. Fuck you, McGowan. And oh, no, no, I'm thinking of... I was thinking of their round two 2021 meeting that the dogs won by seven at Marvel. You know what? I got the two meetings confused, I think, because Bond kicked that great goal at Optus Stadium later on in the season, and it was empty there for round 15. So I was right about that. But yeah, I was round two in 2021, where the dogs won by seven. We don't have nearly as much to go off for the ins and outs for this game because we're recording on Thursday. It's just the extended benches. Obviously, we know that Tyler Vertori will be missing this game in concussion protocol after Gary Zimmerman made just about the quickest concussion call that we've seen this year. Mark Fisher could learn a thing or two. Anthony Scott will be out of protocol for the dogs, so... He's a potential inclusion there. They, they just need some solution in the middle, though, because they really didn't have one last week. They could have moved in Bailey Smith. They could have moved in Jack McRae, who was limited to 17 touches. I would like to know what the conversations in the Bulldogs coaching box during the game are like. Like, are you... There are conversations in that coaching box? There might not be, honestly. It might be as quiet as a monastery in there. Just some some numbers t- that I got from first crack this past week, looking at the Bulldogs these past 11 games, rounds 11 through 22, a stretch in which they've only won four of those. Yeah, they were seven and three, but they're the number one clearance team in the AFL, number two for contested possessions, and yet they're still having so much generating a lot of offense. They're around the middle of the pack for offense and defense. Here's the big issue. Number 16 for intercepts. They're only ahead of North and West Coast. That makes very little sense to me with the type of pressure this team is able to put on and the capable defending that they have. What gives? Maybe it's a structure thing? I, I don't know. That, that is weird. As weird as Tim English taking a kick in in the final minute. Luke Beveridge has somehow not been asked about that in either of his pressers since then. I think Ryan meowing to us that he wants back into the room is more of an answer than we've gotten from Beveridge about that. Well, I'm amazed that nobody's asked him. Wait, he wasn't even asked? Yeah. Now that 
makes no sense. We do know of one change for West Coast as well, and it's that Ryan Merrick comes straight back into the full forward line. I approve of that. I am not too sure what to think about still playing Oscar out as much as I enjoy him with the shoulder issues that he's had these past couple weeks. Maybe save him. I would say, you know, manage him this week, save him for the finale, be able to send off Shannon Hearn and Luke Shuey in proper fashion. Here's my thing. I think even as a lesser team, you have an obligation to go out there and compete against a team that's fighting for a final spot. I've seen some baseball teams do this back when rosters expanded from 25 to 40 in September, which like was fundamentally really stupid, but that's not the argument here. I cannot even imagine how crowded those dugouts were then. But basically, you would have some teams where like they wouldn't throw out their half-assed lineup against good opponents. They do that against other teams that were also out of it. And I think that's good. I think that's the way you do this. It's an injury concern mostly, though. With He's had some subluxation stuff with the shoulder all year. I think playing through it is just very on brand for him. And I think he would probably say, no, fuck it, I'm playing. Yeah. If it's another loss that's as bad as last week, the calls for Adam Simpson's head will only grow, and there's some reports that it's leaning toward him being sacked, but nothing's definitive. Bulldogs favored by 65 and a half. Benjamin, you're the Eagles expert. I was really wrong about Western Derby, though. So what are you thinking for this one? I mean, I'll probably be wrong again is my point. Look, I, I just don't, even with Libertori out, I, I there's a lot of concern there at contest or require Rising Star nominee Elijah Hewitt to really lift. Love that Hewitt got that nomination. I think it'll end up being a 94-point margin. Hey. Any lesser margin would require Ryan Merrick to play particularly well, which he's capable of, but also the back six for the dogs is more than enough to take him on unless he can really do something against Taylor DeRay. Your middle Sunday game, Melbourne hosting Hawthorne at the G, 3.20 p.m. That'll be 1.20 a.m. Eastern time in the United States and 10.20 p.m. on Saturday for those of us on Pacific time. This is a Fox Soccer Plus broadcast. The D's are all of a sudden down in fourth after losing to the Blues, so they got to make up a game and percentage on the Brisbane Lions, so they will definitely be on Collingwood's side this coming week. The Hawks, at 7-14 and 16th after defeating the Bulldogs, they actually managed to win a close one, and they only have one fewer win than they had all of last year. As we said last time, they're not tanking. I can show you tanking, and this is not it. Again, this was just playing the long game, and while the moves they made did certainly lessen their chances of making finals this year, the whole point was increasing your championship window a couple years down the road. It's not like you're planning for something, you know, decades away. This is this is a responsible approach. In round nine at the G, Melbourne got off to a 35-1 to start in the first quarter en route to a 54-point win. The Demons are 6-0-1 in their last seven meetings with the Hawks, starting with the 2018 semifinal. They did play to a draw in round 18 of 2021, that was one of Hawthorne's two draws in their final six games that year because they ended the season and Sean Burgoyne's career and Alistair Clarkson's tenure with a draw against Richmond. And this will be the 34th of 35 of their meetings head-to-head to be at the MCG since 2000. So basically since Waverly Park was closed. The only meeting elsewhere was in round seven of 2020 by necessity. That was at the Sydney show round. I don't believe I watched that game. 
There will be some changes in the making. Hawthorne will be without Chad Wingard, of course, after he ruptured or tore his Achilles. Either way, his Achilles is not intact, and that could put him out for all of 2024. And then Mitch Lewis, not able to get back in the lineup off of a sprained foot. But looks like Tylo Brockman could be back this week in the extended team. Brandon Ryan's also listed in that extended group. Again, I want Ryan to be back in mostly for next round because I want him to face off against his cousin Luke. Considering those two teams will have very little to play for, there's no reason for it not to happen. Melbourne, no announced changes yet. Maybe Charlie Spargo works his way back in. Spargo's a good pressure guy. I could see that. At whose expense do you think that would come, though? Uh, That's the tough part. I guess maybe Brody Grundy, because the Hawks only go with one ruck. Yeah, as as I've mentioned, though, playing Grundy these last couple weeks of the home and away season is probably the right thing to do because it'll keep going a little bit more fresh. I think for this game in particular, it makes sense, but you do need to put your best team out there for round 24, even if you're only playing for third place versus fourth. So I think this will be the last time we see Grundy this year. A couple milestones for the Divas to celebrate. It'll be game 150 for Alex Neil Bowen, who doesn't only score a single goal in a game. Remember, a couple weeks ago, he had three and a quarter, kind of out of nowhere. More importantly, no shade to Neil Bowen, but it's Max Gaughan's 200th game this Sunday. He was another one of those players that we recognized right away, even though Melbourne weren't anything special in 2020. During their flag run in 21, it felt like he was in three places on the oval at the same time, even with Luke Jackson also out there. And and maybe, you know, maybe that was the thought behind bringing Grundy. It probably was that Jackson was able to free up Gaughan so much, and they thought Grundy could maybe do the same, but it just hasn't worked out. And Gone is such a score creator for them. When he's had five or more score involvements this year, the Demons are 11-0. When he's had fewer than five, they're 1-6. They can win the ball through other players, obviously, but Max Gone is why they score. Demons are 25.5-point favorites. This is a tough one because Hawks have some momentum, but they have some outs. I guess? I, I think Hawthorne might just kind of be out of gas after last week and... I would hope they're not, but I could definitely understand it. If you haven't gone back and watched that game from last week where they beat the dogs, do it not only to watch why Hawthorne succeeded, but why the Bulldogs failed. I see this as maybe in that 40 to 60 point range like their first meeting, and that's nothing really against Hawthorne. The closing game of the round once again involves Port Adelaide. They are going out west to play Frio at Optus Stadium, so... The Rocker on the Roof will be playing shortly before 2.40 p.m. local time in Perth, or technically Burswood, I guess. 4.10 p.m. for South Australian viewers, 4.40 p.m. for viewers in Victoria and New South Wales, ACT, Queensland, Tasmania. I think I got them all. Jervis Bay? Oh, well, that's technically part of the ACT, so yeah. For Americans, 2.40 a.m. Eastern Sunday, 11.40 p.m. Pacific Saturday on Fox Sports 2. Frio at 9-12, and 12, they sit in 14th after beating the Eagles. They have moved out of 15th, which we didn't necessarily think was possible for a while, but they have kind of relegated the Suns there. Port Adelaide, 15-6. and six. They're in third after rolling over GWS. They do not have the percent to get up above Brisbane or Melbourne if they leapfrog them, so they'll just have to keep winning 
and hope they can get up to second because their home field advantage is pronounced. This will be the fourth time these teams have met at Optus, Rio having won all three before. The last Port Adelaide road win against the Dockers was at Subiaco in the 2014 semifinals. Their last home and away win out west over the Dockers came all the way back in 2008. So this series has really belonged to the home team. Last time they met was in round 16 at Optus Stadium. A really fun game, a 99-91 to 91 win for Frio. I remember I didn't watch the second half of that game live because I was in Michigan and had to get some sleep. The second quarter swung to Frio in a big way. The fourth swung to the power in a big way, but the Dockers managed to hold on. That was the game with the mark of the year, right? Actually, yes, the winner and another finalist as well. I believe it was uh, Mitch Georgiatis taking out the win, even though we thought Hayden Young deserved it more. Andrew Brayshaw was best on ground. He had 11 tackles as part of his great effort, and Rory Lopp kicked five goals one. And now there's a beer that makes fun of him, and the Dockers totally forgot how to play against him earlier this year. The home team has won 13 of the last 15 meetings in this series, and I guess there's an asterisk in there because one of the losses was at Metricon Stadium, now Heritage Bank Stadium, in 2020. So really, you can say 13 of 14 in that respect. The other big Port Adelaide thing this week is that Ken Hinckley has been extended for two more years through 2025. There is no word on a succession plan. There were some rumors involving assistant coach Josh Carr maybe being involved in a succession plan. I know Warren Treadray was one of the people that mentioned that, but nothing of the sort has come up. So is Carr maybe keeping the door open for a job somewhere? He's ruled himself out for Richmond, but he is from Western Australia. So maybe if the Eagles sack Sino, would not be opposed to having obviously a first-time head coach in there, whether it's Carr, Jamie Graham, Jared Schofield. The Doggers will be forced into some forward changes with a calf injury sidelining Michael Walters. And I really appreciated him this year. I think the way you know he's able to suddenly just burst out of nowhere how much the whole forward line kind of flows off of him, how much the style that Frio played last year and should have played this year is reliant on guys like him who can just run and run and run. Still, the key cog in that forward group, even at age 32, will be 33 by the time next season begins. So not sure how much more he has in the tank, but still a very reliable set shot and able of creating at least one goal of the week nominee a year as well. Unclear on who will replace Walters, I will obviously be an advocate for Bailey Banfield because Bailey Banfield, looking at the extended bench there, Banfield seems like the obvious solution there. I just want to mention that Port Adelaide has potential debutante. I think it's unlikely considering who else is in their extended team, but Hugh Jackson listed, not to be confused with the football coach that won one game in two years. I was going to say he's probably he would probably be a better American football coach than Q-H-U-E Jackson. We do know that Travis Boak will be back in as well after missing the past couple games. All signs point to him being straightened to the 22, so I'd imagine Frank Evans could return to the sub role. That would make sense, as long as they keep him in there in some capacity. Even though he's lost a game. Multiple, I believe. Yeah, so has Dylan Williams. Who is the undefeated king now? It may be Tajwa Woden. 
because Kai Loman has now lost. He lost in Q Clash, and I think it's just down to four or five games. Well, Woden, yeah, he's played four games, and I'm pretty sure it's him. It's a, a ways down from where it was in the past couple years between Evans and Jake Bowie before that. Bowie got up to 17, which is fitting because that's the number he wears. How are 10.5 point favorites out west? Seems a little low. Yeah, I bumped this one up a few points higher. I mean, the backline concerns remain for Port, especially trying to match up against Jai Amos. Tom Jonas does remain in, by the way. He'll be, he's listed kind of at center half back. If you're trying to have someone really match up against Amos, I guess it would be Alira Lear, who's taken a lot of those big 1v1s this year, even though he obviously is of a very different build than those key power forwards. I'd like to see him on Amos. That actually seems like a really good idea. No, I, I don't mind it. It's just, you know, always interesting to see the different body types in those 1v1s. And Alira's a pretty unique player for a number of reasons. The big reason why Port's inferior backline hasn't been as big of an issue for them is because they do such a good job retaining the ball in the forward half. You saw that be a real problem for Greater Western Sydney this past week. They could hardly get out of their own end of the oval. Ethan, who was your main character pick for round 23? The past couple weeks, it's been Blues-related. Michael Voss, round 21, and it was Caleb Marchbank, round 22. Are you going to stick with the Blues or are you going to shy away from them? I'm going to shy away. I'm going to go with Trent Cotchin. This final game, he might just do something really cool. Kicked a couple really nice goals in his 300 in round 14, so I wouldn't be shocked. I hope the Tigers put on a good performance for him and for Revolt. As much as I'd like North to at least stick in there, if not funnily ruin their finales. So who's your main character pick? Going to go out on a bit of a limp here and say Rory Sloan. I think the midfield is really up for grabs there at the Adelaide Oval, and with Ben Tees likely going to Errol Golden and Sloan back in the 22 now, if the Crows will win, Sloan will have a big role in those contests. That's just about going to be a wrap of episode number 128. Don't forget, we're on Twitter and YouTube at Americans Footy. Individually, I'm on Twitter at Castle Media. I am on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. Ryan Harambe, the footy cat, is back on Ethan's bed, sleeping once again, because that's what cats do. He's on Instagram at cat named Ryan. We'll be back with you in a few days' time for the recap, and I still find it hard to believe how close this season is to wrapping up.